This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. Yes, indeed, it is just for kicks. It's time for football here on BFM 89.9. My name's Daryl Steele, capping it, stepping in for Cam Ruslan this week. In the studio with me, I have three regulars. We're going to start off with uh, someone who's trying very hard to put on a smile. <laughs> Kishnan Sundaresan. <laughs> Don't call me out like that, man. Don't expose me like that. <laughs> Listeners can't see your face. <laughs> Uh, we also have another United fan trying to be brave, Sean Malhotra. I mean, it was a great weekend. What are you talking about? 3 0, 6 0, any day, man. Rugby woke up, right? That's yeah, what happened. Yeah. Uh, also, Giancarlo Galafuco. I was hoping so much you said my full name. I tried my best. Not as good as Cam, but I'm nah, getting there. Just, he's not here, so it's, it was better. I was better. We'll keep that between me. <laughs> All right, guys, let's start off with uh, the match of the week, the big clash, right? Bournemouth 2, Burnley 1. <laughs> 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 nah, let's talk about let's talk about Derby. Manchester United nil, Man City three. Uh, Sean, a clear one-sided affair, a clear display of a gap in quality. It's the first time since 1986 that United have lost five of their opening ten league games. Sean, the defeat wasn't something I was surprised by. What I was surprised by was firstly the lineup that Eric Ten Hag put out. It was a very the minute I saw the lineup, it was okay. Let's just play for a draw or let's just play to like play on the counter attack and it was negative from before the game even began it filled me with no confidence prior to seeing the lineup seeing the lineup just gave me no no confidence of us yeah, mm. United scoring a goal at all mm. but there was a massive gulf in in quality in tactics and everything in that sense I I've been on the show enough times where I've defended Eric Ten Hag but this is the one time where I would say tactically tactically wise he got it wrong. Mm. The fact that, as it is this season, United have played with a back four that's unrecognisable. Every player there is not one of their, their starting players, right? You had uh, Diego Dalo at right back, who's defensively not the best. You have Harry Maguire, who's slowly getting back to his best, but you know he's still shaky here and there. Johnny Evans, it's 2023, and we're starting Johnny Evans <laughs> in the Manchester derby. And at left back, you play Victor Lindelof. You're screaming out loud for Erling Haaland and the rest to have their their time with United. Mm. If it wasn't for Andre Onana, the scoreline could have been similar to what happened last season. Yeah, could have been 5-6. I mean, uh, off-air, Kish, we were talking a bit about Eric Ten Hag and his situation right now. Um, like Sean said, you know, uh, instead of playing Varane, he played Johnny Evans instead. Do you think faith in him is starting to waver a little bit? <laughs> There was a really, um, there was a really fascinating uh, clip that is making its way around social media of an argument that um, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville had um, in, in the Sky Sports studio yesterday, and the argument was centered around the both of them coming from two separate perspectives. Jamie Carragher completely calling out Eric Ten Hag and saying that he's been in a job for more than a season now, approaching a season and a half, mm. and we still don't see a clear. Uh, identity or clear patterns of play or, or a style uh, rather from him uh, and he's obviously character is making some good points because he's comparing Ten Hag to some of the other managers who've been able to implement a style of play in a in a very short space of time like um, Ange Postacoglu at at Spurs uh, De Zerbi at Brighton when he came in um, and then there's also Unai Emery at Aston Villa um, and Gary Neville's response to that was rather to look at the bigger picture uh, to you know, put the blame on the Glazers and saying that Tanha walked into a dysfunctional environment, mm. uh, the same dysfunctional environment that excellent managers like Jose Mourinho and Louis Van Hal walked in into and also failed. 
uh, I think the both the both perspectives are true. I don't think it's it's one or the other. I think it's both. I think you, it's fair enough to say that the environment in itself is problematic. Mm. United don't have a sporting director. There's no clear set of of direction from a, from a project building point of view, and that's completely fair. And I also think it is really really fair to pin a lot of the blame on what's happening on the pitch mm. on Eric Ten Hag yeah. in terms of the lack of structure, the lack of identity, the decision making, the substitutions, the starting eleven. A lot of it goes down to him and it feels like in short it really just feels like that the, the wave and the tide is turning against Ten Hag as we speak mm, I think in the same interview as well um, Gary Neville was it Jamie Carragher who said that um, uh, you don't know what you're getting when you watch United these yeah, days exactly. there's no identity yeah. there's yeah. no game yeah. plan uh, but talking a bit about the game GG um, I want to talk about the first goal uh, the thing that probably would would have changed the, the game a little bit that, that first penalty um, Hoyland pull on Rodri uh, based on the reaction from the City players it seems like um, Hoyland gave him a clothesline from hell or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but as a defender um, what, what went wrong there? see for me this is my problem with VAR we were speaking about this um, off air but anything in super slow motion looks terrible sure yeah right and the problem is you're developing, you're getting football to go in a way that at the at the highest level, the player knows that as soon as there's contact, all he needs to do is make a scene. Because in, on the camera, slowed down, it looks terrible. Mm. When you're marking someone, you are reacting to them. It is incredibly difficult. And you have to use some sort of physicality. And if every single time that I touched my attacker, he dropped and they went to VAR, I would have given 2,000 mm. penalties away. Mm. It's literally making it impossible for the defender. And you see in that clip, he, the Rodri goes down. So he's the one that you're looking at. But everybody else is doing the exact that same, same thing, thing, except yeah. their player just didn't go down. Mm. Stones and Maguire are having a scuffle. But because maybe he's a defender, they're both English centre-backs, they're fighting with each other, they both stay up. But this, he goes down, makes a scene, and it, you know, it does change the game. Mm. And, like, I'm not giving Tenag an excuse, but obviously that cracks the dam open, you know? Mm. And I just, I just think it's... You know, I sound like Des, but I just think VAR <laughs> is ruining football a little bit, you know, because it's just all every time you slow these incidences down, you are making it infinitely more difficult mm. for the defender. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think uh, one, one of the we can't we can't take any anything away from City. Right. Obviously, yeah. you know? yeah. great performance. The penalty, sure, it might have if it wasn't given, might have changed things. But Sean, um, looking at City, you know, they seem top peak you know they're almost you know reaching the ceiling a little bit um, do you feel that you know Haaland obviously had a superb game uh, mm. do you feel that Haaland should win the Ballon d'Or over Messi funny enough tonight <laughs> is the Ballon d'Or yep. ceremony yeah. yep, yep. Mm. I felt this after even the World Cup I was like even if Messi wins the World Cup Haaland has had an insane Incredible. season Incredible. what do you want from a striker score goals yeah. he's done that in well, he's got half a, a hundred over, uh, 50 over goals yeah. he should win the Ballon d'Or but knowing how the Ballon d'Or ceremony goes yeah. Messi will win his record eighth yeah this World Cup connected right yeah. all the time uh, coming up in the program we're going to have a look at the other matches in last weekend's Premier League you're here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9 more football when we come back Just for Kicks BFM 89.9 
Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Indeed, Just for Kicks. Kish, Sean and Gigi in the studio with us. Now let's head to the early kickoff on Friday night, Saturday morning. Spurs 2, Crystal Palace nil. Gigi, we go to you. Uh, the gap is now down to two points at the top, but... Um, before uh, the rest of the teams played, Spurs were five points ahead. And the last time uh, Spurs were five points clear at the top, 1960, 1961, they won the league. Oh, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Oh my God, how funny would it be if they won and Harry Kane just left? Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> no, I was, it was beautiful, man. Like, obviously, I'm super biased because Ange has gone there. And um, seeing an Aussie take a Premier League club, something I would never, ever imagined mm. to see in my lifetime. But you know, it was like the first game and the second game and, oh, don't get carried away. Now we're 10 games in and they are top of the league. The team looks unified. They look happy. Um, there was moments like uh, Vicario made some unbelievable saves, but they just like, I was loving the combination and I think it's a Son goal where uh, Johnson does the header, goes mm. to Madison, he yeah. continues yeah. the willing run, he goes down, he passes to Son, and then Son scores and immediately points to him. Mm. That kind of unity when you're celebrating, really good sign. Yeah. But also, I think the willingness of runners. When you play ant ball, you have this identity where you're super aggressive when you defend. Mm. Each player has their own responsibility. And then when you're attacking, it's the same thing. The way you break down a team is if everybody is willing to run and make make uh, make the space for you, even if sometimes you're doing the run for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And when you play this style, you must have everybody on board. And you can see because that's why the starting 11 compared to the starting 11 last year is completely different mm. because he would have gone through preseason and said, which players are going to do it, which players aren't going to do it, which one of you are going to buy into my system and which one of you aren't. And it's been a revelation for players like Bisuma and Sa, and they're all playing and they're playing fantastic. Mm. Yep. But I was just, it was just beautiful to watch, man. We speak about Manchester United and you talk about not having an identity. We're 10 games into Ange Ball and there's a clear identity of mm. how they play, mm. of how they defend, mm. of how they're going to be. And I, I'm just excited, man. Like, I really hope <laughs> they can continue this run for as long as mm. possible. It, long, long way to go in this yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, long, long way. Um, but Keish, you know, speaking a bit about um, Sa and Bisuma, uh, Bentacor obviously came mm. back. Um, how big of a boost is that for Ange? You know, and would it disrupt that you know that blossoming partnership of Sam and Bisuma? I think it gives him options. Um, I, I, obviously, Ange is not the kind of guy to to chop and change if it's unnecessary. But mm-hmm. if Bentenka is going to come and and completely adhere to exactly what he demands out of a holding midfielder, mm. he'll definitely get game time. Ange is just as objective as that. Mm. There's no uh, preferential treatment for his two dynamic midfielders as we speak. And, and there's something that Gigi mentioned. It's it's uh, the identity that's been built, right? Uh, it's not just the fact that it's been built in a short space of time. It's from one extreme to the complete opposite extreme. Because prior to this, the managers that they had before this in the form of um, whether it was Jose Mourinho, whether it was Antonio Conte, whether it was Nuno Espirito Santo, all played you know, a style of football that is far more conservative, Mm -hmm. far less progressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't take as much initiatives. You don't, you know, play out of the park, play it out of the park like, you know, the way Ange Potsoglu demands demands from his players. Whereas now, it's it's a complete shift to the other end of the spectrum, right? They're running harder, they're they're pressing higher, they're playing with a a sort of aggression that was never seen before. And that's the part that is astonishing for me because to come in and take a group of players that have been conditioned under a certain type of mentality 
and then to change that in a short space of time mm. and bring out the best versions of them that's just insane and yes. can I could I just jump on that for one one there's a there's an incident where Palace get the goal it's Pedro Porro he mistimes a ball he basically has he's forced to come in with the back line then the ball goes long he times it wrong Palace score mm. and then it's about seven minutes later he does the exact same thing and and he goes in, the ball goes long, and then he f- sprints out, manages to kind of like put the play under pressure, and he misses. And I was having a conversation with my father, and he was arguing. And I was saying, no, 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 it's a clear identity. So he made a mistake in the first one and still did it because that's what the shape wanted him mm, to do. Right. You're seeing the miss time. That's an action. But he stuck to the shape. We talk about the U- United... Uh, Backline, And because it keeps changing, there's moments where people are taking shape, not taking the player, is a communication. In the end, the patch of grass doesn't score. Mm. The player scores. Yeah, for sure. So I can come into this back line and say, yep, I'm, I'm where the coach told me to be, mm. but we lost 2-0. Mm. No, he, he was so bought into the identity. He did two jobs. And I love that, dude. I love it. Yeah, that was Spurs 2, Palace 0. Uh, Sean, let's go now to Chelsea 0, Brentford 2. Um, <laughs> Chelsea were the better team but would rule their missed chances. They only had two shots on target. I don't know, while watching the match, I was thinking the whole time Nkunku would change this team so much. I disagree. I think you know, one player can't carry an entire team. Hmm. Right now, that Chelsea team... It, it, in many senses it's very similar to United where it keeps changing every week mm. you can't at the top of your head say there's one player that it's going to be a game changer mm. there when Poch is starting with Nicholas Jackson who scored what I think half a dozen goals in La Liga last season it doesn't fill you with confidence and then when you look at your bench you would expect someone to be a game changer and you have Armando Broya there who just came back from a massive injury, you're not going to expect him to come in and, and change the face of the game. And you can say that about so many of the Chelsea players that are in there right now. We said it at the start of the season, and it was a similar thing to last season, where you bring in so many new players, you can't expect them to gel straight away. I think Pochler has no idea what his best team is. What I am struggling to understand is, and I've said this in, in previous shows, why do you constantly start with three defenders mm-hmm. for a game at home? home against Brentford who again don't have Ivan Tony, which I think so many teams keep forgetting this mm-hmm. season why are you not going at them it's a crazy stat to think that Brentford have won at Stamford Bridge every game they played there I, I, think, the the, I think the approach to go with three defenders um, you can look at it as either a back five mm-hmm. or simply just a back three mm-hmm. I think in, in Poch's case he's insisting on the three defenders is because that's the system that he wants Chelsea to play even when everyone is fully fit mm-hmm. and chopping and changing it right now especially when you're in the initial stages of trying to build identity is not is not going to help them because that's the same mistake that we are you know condemning United and Ten Hag for mm. not sticking to a identity mm. even through the injuries right mm. we're chopping and changing and trying to solve problems off the cuff and and, and on that sense I think I understand what, what Poch is trying to do uh, where I think they are severely struggling is the goal scoring bit and it's not surprising at all because the names that we've talked about I think players like Nicholas Jackson was signed with the idea that he was going to be a part of an attack that included Sterling and Nkunku but all of a sudden without Nkunku they've had to just depend on Jackson and the goal scoring burden on him increase which I don't think he's he's built to sort of shoulder right Uh, I think we might see an improvement when Nkunku returns Mm -hmm. from a goal scoring point of view Uh, whether it's enough it's a different question altogether Uh, 
But if you if you were to ask me, I see far more of a plan with Chelsea than I do with United. <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's the concerning part, right? They are just, what, six months into a brand new project with Poch. But I see far more of an identity there, even though they lost to Brentford. But in, in the game, also, I don't know how to pronounce the name. Is it Cucarella or Cucarella? Cucarella. Okay, because in Italian that means something. So I don't <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm saying it wrong. Um, no, but um, I, I wanted to say, also Sanchez makes like two or three ridiculously mm. in, incredible saves. But um, Cucarella gets played around two or three times in a row. You can tell that the Brentford that the Brentford coach has realised that you can get behind him in this mm. back five, three kind of situation. Mm. And for me, I agree with what you're saying about the identity, but you, you as a coach, you have to notice that in the game. Mm. He got played out so many times. Mm. They did the same run, the midfield runner ran behind him, they chipped it over, yep. and it was destroying him, and he didn't change something. Mm. Thiago Silva's not the kind of defender that's going to bolt out of centre-back. Mm. So he's staying inside. And yeah. Cucarella was just like Rondo, you know? He was mm. piggy in the middle. Mm. You... For for me, it was. I understand and I agree with you. You have to stick to your identity, but in the game, they're tactically exposing you. You mm. got to you got to change. Yeah. You got to mm-hmm. change. You have to you have to acknowledge that you're such a good coach, mm. and they are slaughtering you on one thing. Mm. Mm. There was Chelsea zero, Brentford two. Chelsea sit in eleven, while Brentford sit just a place above them in ten. Speaking of teams with identity, Sean Arsenal five, <laughs> Sheffield nil. Uh, Eddie Nketiah with a hat trick. Uh, he's not scored since August, but he went guns blazing here. That being said, though, Sean, I get the feeling that even Arsenal fans aren't truly convinced by him yet. Uh, Eddie Nketiah has always been a interesting player to me because. Mm, would you start him out and out every game? I think if you ask any Arsenal fan, they'd say no. But the thing is, when you need him and he needs to be called upon to do a job, he always delivers. And you talk about players like uh, uh, Haaland, you talk about Odegaard, or all these big-name players who sometimes statistically, right, the XG mm. and all these things, don't really perform against the bigger teams. Eddie Nketiah does it when he needs to. He's a team player. Him scoring this hat-trick against Sheffield, I felt... You know, in a very neutral sense, I was like, I was happy for him because mm-hmm. he does so much work for that Arsenal team up mm. forward. I feel he does way more work off the ball and on the ball than Gabriel Jesus, mm. which is maybe an unpopular opinion. I don't know. And he's way more available than Gabriel Jesus is. If you were to ask me, even if Gabriel Jesus, I think he's out with a slight knock at the moment. Mm. If he comes back, does he start in that front three? I would say no because Eddie Nketiah is doing the job. And if he doesn't score, you've got... Martinelli on your left you've got Saka on your right mm. it's a complete performance you've got Trossard Arsenal. off your bench yeah, you've got Trossard <laughs> off your bench and you've got uh, what's his name the young boy who always seems to be a super sub for them Rhys Nelson yeah Rhys Nelson, Nelson. Yeah. It, they have an abundance of talent in their yeah. team yeah yeah so I, I, I don't see a flaw in that Arsenal team currently. They play really good football. Speaking of abundance of talent, Emil Smith-Rowe mm. um, hasn't started a game in 500 days before yeah. last yeah. weekend. Um, Gunners fans obviously love him. However, Kish, do you think that this is the second coming for him or is it the end of the line for his I, time at Emirates? I really don't know, you know. Um, I, I know there is a there is sort of like a romantic relationship between Smith Rowe and the Arsenal fan base because yep. he's, he's a product of the academy he's mm-hmm. really loved and he had that patch that, yep. that period where patch, he yeah. was you know sort of just rescuing the team uh, constantly a couple of years back 
But the team is a lot more stable now. Um, and you've got, you, you're not going to bench Odegaard. He's your captain, yeah. right? He's going to play when he's fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Fabio Vieira, mm-hmm. who seems to be doing quite decent whenever he's given the opportunity. There's Declan Rice, who can Oof. play in a bit of an advanced role at times as well. So you've got options. There's Kai Havertz, who they just you know split 60 million on. Yeah. And he he's going to play at, at, as a number eight every now and then as well. If I'm Smith Rowe, I, I'm looking at the around, you know yeah. I'm looking around as, as we speak definitely you, you're at an age where you need to be playing yeah, uh, and if you yeah. don't play now you're going to suffer sort of like a, a a stagnant period in your growth and that's going to hamper his ability to become a player that people projected he would be when he was young right so if I'm him I'm, I'm really uh, assessing my options as we speak and as much as it is a, it is a dream for the fans because he's homegrown product yeah. there will be pressure from management who've spent 160 million on Declan Rice and mm. Kai Havertz that they need to come good mm. unfortunately that does play a massive role yeah. you mm-hmm. don't you didn't cost us anything and you are a humongous investment mm. I need you to work yeah. mm. I need to get my money's worth mm. Mm. and that was Arsenal 5 Sheffield 0 head on now to Liverpool 3 Nottingham Forest 0 uh, Liverpool winning home, winning home run in all competitions the streak attends, uh, extends to 7 matches um, Sean Anfield for now seems to be a fortress for Jurgen Klopp I think it's been a fortress for a long time since Klopp arrived I think Last season when they lost to Leeds at home, if I'm not mistaken, was the first time they lost at home in, what, three, four years? So, and I think since then, they've not lost at home. So, I mean, Anfield is a fortress and I I see it being that way for a long time to come. I want to just say that aside from a tactical point of view, it must have been really difficult for a lot of those Liverpool players knowing that, you know, Luis Diaz is is mm. going through something. Mm, no, yes, yeah. no one wishes, you know. And it was nice to see when, when Jota scored yeah. Lifting his shirt and you yeah. know paying homage to him, it's it's a difficult time and times like this can galvanize a team. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great and and with Forrest, I said this since last season and, and Bob's probably not going to be very happy with me <laughs> saying it. They'll have moments where they seem like they can play one of the big teams off the park or like play well in the transition and everything, but playing at Anfield, you give them space, they're going to hurt you. And yeah. what is nice to see now, and it's always difficult for a United fan to say this. Is Darwin Nunes coming good? Oh, yeah. He so looks good. elite yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. What Jurgen Klopp saw with him two years ago that made him want to buy him last season is coming to fruition now. He's someone you can depend upon. Mm, for sure. Uh, other other players that Jurgen Klopp could depend upon, GG, uh, Dominic Sobotslai seems like quite a baller, but also McAllister. I mean, he was bought as an eight, but now he's playing in that six role. Uh, that midfield is really working out uh, for Yeah, un- unbelievable. I remember I th- I th- speaking about it when the transfer first came in on BFM I think and um, talking about um, you know the, the age the, the transition of the older midfielders to these ones and this new uh, Jurgen Klopp going for younger and how they're going to fit and they were incredible I, I like him as a six I thought he controlled the, the, the game and the tempo well um, even like he, I think there's t- two chances where he gets a bit of space and he takes a shot and even though they didn't come good mm. I like seeing him and I'm not going to try to pronounce it's just not Latin enough for me uh, <laughs> but uh, no I, I, I really like how they play and I, I said it before but it's the, the willingness of the runners Darwin Nunes and him moving the way it's so difficult to defend and I, I can see them on their way back to their best you know 
And uh, even uh, there was one pass where Mohamed Salah hits his first time ball to Darwin Nunez. Oh, even yeah. that, you're starting to sync up, you're starting to mm. learn where everybody mm. goes, how they move, how, yeah. and it, they look so dangerous. One of the craziest things I remember feeling um, when I used to watch Salah, uh, Sadio Mane, and, and Bobby Firmino at their absolute Oof. peak was just sitting and wondering how on earth will Liverpool ever replace... Yeah a front three like this not from a goal scoring point of view because you can get goal scorers but goal scorers tend to be luxury players mm-hmm. and very few luxury players are willing to work their socks off yep. like that front three mm-hmm. and Jurgen Klopp's system demands a front three that works their socks off so my question was always when this three eventually fade away where on earth are you going to find another front three that's going to you know work as hard but also selflessly but yeah. uh, selflessly but also produce as many goals yeah and I look at that attacking department now and it's like... They have them in a bundle. my <laughs> God. He has replaced, not just replaced, he's added to it, yeah. right? They've got like five attackers. Every single one of them are willing runners. You take Diego Jota out, you put in Luis Diaz, he will run exactly as much as Diego yeah, Jota exactly. would. And that's insane. Mm. And that's all down to, uh, not just Klopp, but whoever's doing the squad building, yeah. um, Jorge Schmatke or whoever that mm-hmm. came in to assist Klopp uh, in the summer. It's Elite full props to them. Incredible recruitment. Yeah, definitely. Liverpool sit in fourth. Now, coming up in the programme, we're going to talk the rest of the Premier League and also some European picks right here on Just for Kicks, only on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Indeed, just for kick, Keyshawn and Gigi in the studio with us this evening. Now we head on to Aston Villa 3, Luton Town 1. Keish, I mean, last week we spoke about how Aston Villa has been pulling out the goods. No shows, no signs of stopping. They won their 12th consecutive home Premier League match. Uh, crazy, Aston Villa. Yeah, on a really solid run of form and full props to to Unai Emery, really. Um, there is always, there's sort of been, we've spoken about this before, I think, but my favourite part about the Aston Villa trajectory this season is, is watching everyone who only watched Emery in the Premier League last time mm, uh, mm. with Arsenal. So anyone who recognises Unai Emery from the lens of having watched him at Arsenal alone, they sort of have this... Uh, presumption about him being a, a negative-minded coach. So my favourite part about this current trajectory is just seeing everyone finally appreciate for how great of an attacking-minded coach he can be because that's mm-hmm. what he was at Villarreal, right? They're, they're not just top, they're, they're topping the charts in terms of uh, the amount of shots they're taking, uh, the amount of goals they're scoring. It's free-flowing football. Obviously, it's aided by the, the addition of some exciting talents mm-hmm. uh, over the summer. Mm-hmm. But a, a large part of it is also players that were already there that he has really improved and revived. Um, you know, Douglas Lewis looks absolutely sensational in recent mm-hmm. weeks. And then there's Ollie Watkins, right? We can't speak enough about Ollie Watkins yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's really, really fun to watch. Um, it's it's nice to see Unai Emery finally get the sort of appreciation that, that, that's been long overdue. Mm. It's, it's funny for me because, you know, we all, we all joke whenever the internationals come by that when Gareth Southgate picks his team, he will always go with Harry Kane. But now you look, you've got Harry Kane scoring goals for fun, Callum Wilson scoring goals for fun, Ollie Watkins scoring goals for fun. It's an abundance of choices right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gigi, just a quick one. Villa, top four, you think? Yeah, man, they're on flames. They're on flames. And and, uh, like you were saying, I, I, I always... I always have a soft spot for Good Evening, you know. For uh, <laughs> I always have a soft spot for him, so I, I'm happy. I'm so happy that he's he's doing well. But I I, I wanted to say that I I know a player um, at Luton 
just to switch to the other side. Sure. And um, he, we were having a conversation, and I won't say his name, but he was saying literally every meeting, every week we're having a crisis meeting. We're having a crisis meeting about what's happening, why. And I'm like, man, it's week 10. If you're already having that spread, you are in a big, big problem. Mm. And I'm, I I'm, want to answer your question, yes. I really think Villa is mm. a good team and they're on form and they, the team looks unified. They've got an identity. They're playing well. But on the other hand, I see Luton and I'm like, man, if you're already having this spread in your change room, that's a big problem. <laughs> Maybe Cam's panic button made it. Maybe that's why he went to the UK. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, Luton, Keish, you know, they are, they've been better on the road than at home yeah. so far this season. Actually, they're 18, one point from safety. So not looking yeah. too bad, actually. I, I don't know. I, I would have thought that Luton would have come into the season because... Compared to every other team that gets promoted from the championship, Luton are significantly a smaller sure. club, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. right? And I mean, even their stadium was not ready for the Premier League. That's yeah. how unprepared Small, yeah. they were. I, I don't think any Luton fans expected this promotion to happen. It just mm-hmm. happened because they had a really um, uh, a, a great coach mm-hmm. um, who really dragged them all the way through and, and got themselves promoted. I honestly, if, if I were part of the Luton club... I. I would have honestly looked at the season as a as a season with zero pressure. Mm. Mm. Prepare for relegation, yep. and that's fine. No, yeah, exactly. that's because, financial package because we too. don't we yeah. don't have the the facilities, nor do we have the framework to be able to step into the league with yeah. big boys mm. and compete and attempt to survive. And fa- getting relegated from the Premier League is not failure, yeah. right? And that should have been the so I'm. To hear what Gigi said, the fact that they're hitting, you know, panic button now and <laughs> crisis, like, hang on a minute, <laughs> like, it's Luton Town, like, mm. this is not, you know, Blackburn Rovers or, like, Villa when they got promoted, it's a significantly smaller club, and I hope they get reminded of that, I hope they start to treasure the opportunities, because that will remove the pressure off the shoulders, yeah. and that, in turn, will allow them to play football, you know, with a lot more freedom, you, you usually see teams that get where their relegation is confirmed towards the tail end of the season play better football all of a sudden they start to play better yeah. football yeah. right and that should be the approach but my honestly. thing is who, who's like I I said to him who's putting the pressure yeah. I don't understand yeah. who's putting the pressure I don't think the that. fans are no yeah. and, and surely like you said they're just praying that we stay up you know mm. but I'm like who's putting the pressure on, on the coach I don't understand it surely it's not the management because mm. you, you after what he just did He's not going anywhere. Yeah. So where where has this happened, or what where has this fear come from mm. that you're mm. in the video analysis and you're going ballistic? How how has this happened already? It's week ten. Yeah, yeah. A simple answer. It's Cam. Yeah, it's Cam. We move on now, guys, to uh, Wolves two, Newcastle two. Uh, Sean uh, off air. We we're talking about Huang Hichan and Pedro Neto. Their partnership. They had a hand in all of Wolves' twelve goals in the league this season. Neto unfortunately went off a little bit injured, but talk to us a little bit about Wolves and this partnership. I think if you look away from the Arsenal five 0 or the the Manchester derby, to me this was the game of the weekend. It was such <laughs> a fun affair mm. when end to end in the first half it was end to end I think the the, the penalty was, was a little bit soft but we've been talking about this every week Newcastle looked like their usual self in that first half where they played some good football in the second half it was all Wolves I hardly saw Newcastle have an attack in the second half and the, the key to them playing aside from Neto, who's just been sublime this season, along with Huang Hee-chan. There was a young player in midfield. I can't remember his first name, but he was called Doyle. And I think he's, he, he was on loan uh, last season. 
He reminded me I mean in just that game alone He reminded me of like Prime Schneider In mm, in Inter sick. Milan's team He pulled all the strings In midfield mm. Neto That, that that connection between Neto and Huang Hichan, especially for that second goal, was oh, a thing of beauty. Yeah, that goal amazing. was a beautiful goal. If there was, if Neto was still on the field, and you can tell if you watch the last five six games that Wolves have been playing, Neto runs himself to the ground mm-hmm. every game. I think he covers the most ground out of any Wolves player, mm-hmm. and he's constantly a threat. He's constantly creating. He's constantly trying to get shots off. He's such an exciting player. That's why when I saw him go off, because he'd been through. He mm. got played through. He was going in on goal and you saw him pull up. Anyone who's a fan who knows when you pull up like that, yep, not, not <laughs> that's, good. that's it. And the thing yeah. is, it looked really bad because he couldn't get back to his feet. I think this is going to be a huge loss for Wolves because he's been the key to how well they've played mm-hmm. this season. Mm. That's Wolves 2, Newcastle 2. Quick quiche, we go to West Ham, Neil Everton 1. I'm really surprised by, by West Ham this season, quiche, because they started the season really strong. Mm. However, they just won one of their past Premier, uh, six Premier League games. Yeah, it's, it's a slight dip, um, which is... Not not totally surprising. Mm-hmm. It's very characteristic of West Ham. Um, mm-hmm. They have these ups and downs. Um, I, my, my only concern with West Ham is, uh, look, I, I love David Moyes and, and, I, and I absolutely love the, the, the praises and adoration that he's getting right now mm. after the turbulence of what happened at Man United. Uh, but I also think that David Moyes is... A, a you know a better fit of a coach for an underdog team. Mm-hmm. You know you 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 can sort of build that siege mentality with players that are not exactly the brightest, and you know just galvanize them and and get them to perform above what people expect them to. Mm. Once you get into territory where you start to have luxury players in your team, that's where I think he tends to sort of struggle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and West Ham have sort of been in that in that middle for a while now. You know, being in the middle between are we a mid-table team or are we going to finally push on for a top four position? Yeah. They've sort of been in that middle. There was an attempt to sort of push for a top four position a few years ago and remember they had this play, signed Felipe Anderson from mm-hmm. Lazio and yeah. You know, wanting to introduce a, a more stylistic form of football didn't exactly go to plan, mm-hmm. and then they reverted back to a conservative style of football. Went back to the basics. You know, Thomas Suchek and Vladimir Kufal, and you know, direct ping it to the Rosie. Now they they get back into that position, and, and they've got some luxury players in there, right? Mohamed Kudus is one. Uh, the experiment with Skamaka did not work, yep. but Kudus is a luxury player that a manager like, for example, De Zerbi would be absolutely mm-hmm. cooking with him. Yeah. But it hasn't quite worked out yet at West Ham, mm-hmm. um, and and you know stuff like that is a is a sign for cause for concern. And I think West Ham owners have um, uh, some big decisions to make around this going forward. Mm, that's West Ham sitting in nine. Uh, coming up in the program, picks from Europe right here on Just for Kicks. Stay tuned. BFM eighty nine point nine. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks and BFM eighty nine point nine. Just for Kicks on BFM eighty nine point nine. Just for kicks, Key, Sean and Gigi in the studio with us this evening. And Gigi, we head to you now in the Serie A, Napoli 2, AC Milan 2. I mean, Oliver Giroud put his goal- goalkeeping gloves aside, <laughs> score two goals in this one. But but Gigi, what a match, uh, the match of the Serie A so far. Everybody get comfortable because I'm going to complain. Uh, <laughs> listen, I'm, I, it was a great game to watch if you aren't a fan of Napoli. Mm-hmm. But 45 minutes in, the Diego Armando is they're booing and they're booing because we're at home we're 2-0 down and I said off air 
90 seconds into the game, 90 seconds into a game at home, we're the current champions and we parked the bus. What is wrong with us? <laughs> what is wrong with us? I, it, fr- it frustrated me so much. As a Neapolitan, as someone who's watched them go from Serie C to Serie B to Serie A, develop all these players, get to the point mm-hmm. and win this identity of going at 100 miles an hour when everyone in the Serie A didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the Serie A, uh, Italy's all about tactics, formation. Napoli came in, just kicked the door down with this identity. Spalletti goes and we have reverted to the most boring football. It was so frustrating. I, there's a defender called Rachmani. I love him, mm. but he got bullied by Giroud, mm. and then they dragged him at 50 or 60 minutes. And then individual brilliance gets us two goals and gets us back in the game. But individual brilliance, not play, not, team not play. style, yeah. not us passing through. Politano scores a goal that he will never score again. He skins two people, does an incredible dribble, smacks one in. That's amazing. So happy for him. But that's not coach planned that's not mm. tactical that's not a, that's Politano being graced by God and scoring <laughs> an amazing goal that's what that is yeah. so it was really really disappointing for me to watch that's and I am I'm worried I'm worried because we're already playing like a team that's not going to back up the title I, I've got a question for Gigi uh, your thoughts on that uh, that 22 year old Brazilian centre back I'm, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name yeah. Nathan so, yeah, so because when, when Koulibaly got sold they, you know, the the way that summer, the way Napoli replaced the departing players, it was Kolibali, uh, okay. it was uh, Dries Mertens, mm-hmm. and it was Lorenzo yeah. Insigne yeah. with <laughs> Kavara Scalia, Zambo Angisa, uh-huh. and then you had Kim Min Jae, and now Kim Min Jae leaves, and they bring in this boy from Brazil. I think it was from Red Bull Bragantino or something. Yeah. Uh, he just looks out of depth. Yeah, and you, um, Jeru scores the first goal. And Rachmani has a massive argument with him, cusses him out straight away. Huge problem already. But when Kim came in, Koulibaly was the leader for Rachmani. He needs that. He's mm. a very good centre-back, but he's a B to mm. an A. Okay, mm. He needs that chief. Kim came in and remarkably from the jump, from his initiation song, from everything, everybody <laughs> loved him. You could see he was the kind of character and everybody jumped on it. He's left and they've taken this player and you can tell he's trying to feel the boots of Koulibaly and Kim. Mm. And he's not going into areas where it's dangerous. Then he's overcommitting to try to make a big tackle. You're thinking about yourself. In defence, that is the only place you can't do that. Mm-hmm. If you sign a striker and he says, like a Haaland, I don't care about Man City, I want to break the record. I want to score as many goals as possible. That's good for the team when you're an attacker. When you're a defender, it is the opposite. You have to put your ego aside. And in this issue, Rachmani actually gets done twice and then gets subbed off, has a terrible time with Giroud because he keeps trying to cover him because he's staying in shape, doesn't want to get it. So Mm. that for me, I was staring at that specifically, obviously, because of my position. (laughs) And anyway, I need to stop because we're going to kill the whole show. <laughs> but it was just, it was disappointing. Mm. That was Napoli 2, AC Milan 2. Sean, now the other big, big match of the weekend was Barcelona, Real Madrid. The Barcelona 1, Real Madrid 2. I mean, we spoke about Duke Bellingham last week, but turns out he is a striker after all. 10 <laughs> goals already this early in the season, more than uh, Zidane uh, has ever scored in a single uh, campaign. 
Jude Bellingham is on another planet right now. You know, 13 appearances, 13 goals, 3 assists in all competitions. He is the X factor in that Real Madrid team right now. Carlo Ancelotti can keep saying that he's not a striker, but I mean, he's performing like a striker because their, their attack right now isn't, you know, delivering the kind of goals that Jude is delivering. That first goal he scored, oof, my God, <laughs> to do it in the El Clasico at your opponent's stadium... Come on, man. At 19 years old, that kind of confidence is unbelievable. That that fee right now looks like a like, like nothing. It looks like a bargain right now. I just want to focus on the Barcelona team, right? They had a very young team that played against Real Madrid. Mm. Yep. They were missing players like Kunde, Rafinha, Lewandowski, Frankie de Jong. Mm. They lost so many of their key players for a game like this. And to see the young players come in, and do their best. Losing two one in an El Clasico at you know at home is a terrible thing to go through. But it's good to go through it at this stage yeah, of the yeah, season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's still a long way to go to mm. in the season. So I I I think it's a great win for Real Madrid. They needed this win. Barcelona. You know, I don't think it's panic station. So as Cam would yeah. say, panic button moment. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's not there yet. Yeah, I mean, Keish, nothing to worry about for Xavi uh, and his boys because, like Sean says, it's almost like a transition period for them. But I don't think Ilkay Gundogan agrees with that. Yeah, because yeah. if yeah. anyone watched his yeah. interview, he was pissed. <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. angry. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and I mean, we've followed Gundogan from his time at at Dortmund Totally. to Man City. I've never seen him come out in the press and say anything close to like this mm-hmm. even but it's understandable even more so now because uh, he had a, a really you know lucrative contract offer from Man City to stay yeah. right in an environment that is highly competitive where you know it's 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 a pressure cooker there is a expectation to win and deliver this pressure from the managers and your teammates are all equally world class but he takes the Barcelona offer because, you know, he's it's a romantic football club and he wants to experience it. Mm-hmm. Goes there, immediately realises there is a difference in standards. Mm-hmm. And I think he felt it after this game. And he came out and said, if he had just criticised the team, I would understand. But he went further by saying, I did not come here yeah. to lose this sort of games mm-hmm. and to trail and let even Girona overtake and run away. Yeah. Um and I think that's that's a that's a that's a massive to me. If I was a Barcelona fan, I look at that as a concerning thing, because mm-hmm. that's him saying that the kids lost the game, went in the dressing room, and did not care about the yeah. defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they've got to that that has got to change. Yeah, and after that, Ilkay went on the phone with Pep. With Pep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we hit to Bundesliga now. GG, Bayern eight, Darmstadt nil. Harry Kane hat trick, sure, still yeah. scoring goals. But the person I want to focus on is Thomas Müller. Actually, uh, it's been their rock for the last decade and a half. He scored the goal last weekend. Uh, actually, he scored in fifteen different seasons for Bayern, which is a league record. Nagelsmann as well picked him for Germany for some friendlies coming up. I mean, Thomas Müller. I grew up watching him, and <laughs> what a character! He's still playing too today. One absolute legend. Um, man, I don't know how many more years he's going to be playing, but yeah. he's, he's he, uh, unbelievable. And then even in all the goals, like so many times he plays a role, whether that be opening up space for somebody or a touch that he makes one or two passes back. And he's an absolute legend. I don't want to talk about Harry Kane because I wrote him a message and he didn't reply. <laughs> so, you, you left me on red, Harry. So we're not friends anymore. Does he follow you? No. But we message, yeah. and that's fine. I understand you're too famous to follow me back. Yeah. But <laughs> you, left, you left me on red, so um, no. But uh, inc- he's incredible, man, and uh, uh, I like so much that he's uh, an absolute elite athlete at the highest level, competes at the highest level, and then off 
the pitch. He's mm. like a funny guy, mm. and you can see you, he's got so much personality. And I, I, I think when he does eventually retire, I think he's one of the few footballers that balance that so well, yeah. mm-hmm. so well. Yeah, always with a smile on his face as you well, know? most of the time. I love that. Yeah, uh, Sean Bayern sit two points behind Xabi Alonso's Bayer Leverkusen. Um, I think Bayern has won it for the last what nine, ten, ten years, ten years, years yeah. in a row. Mm-hmm. Can Xabi Alonso do anything about that? On current form, you would say so. That they have a very good chance, right? The thing that that Bayer Leverkusen doesn't have, that Bayern Munich has, is Harry Kane. Mm. But I want to just focus a bit on Xabi Alonso's Leverkusen. Not, nothing take nothing away from Bayern destroying Darmstadt, right? But Xabi Alonso has changed that Leverkusen team so much. They look like a very attacking unit now. They're so fun to watch. And I think the player that's so key to the way they play that has drawing the eyes from Bayern and all the other big teams right now is Florian Wirtz. Mm. He is so exciting. I always think about players who play in in this free role type of position. As a defender, what do you do in this situation where there's a player that can literally take the wings, can be playing as a 10, can be playing behind the striker, can be playing as a striker. How do you defend against that he has been the live wire and I feel if he stays fit till the end of the season there's a very good chance they can you know run mm. uh, Bayern all the way I see it going down the same route as last season where Bayern just get just it over me, the line yeah, last yeah. day they yeah. have Harry Kane man come on <laughs> yeah yeah uh, Sean I know you really wanted to talk about Ajax but uh, I'm going to put that first thing in the agenda uh, next week for oh, next week's win. show hopefully they win we're going to go local football now GG uh, you just played the Piala Malaysia uh, you guys lost 2-1 to Tringanu mm-hmm. uh, second league's coming up this Friday uh, mm-hmm. tell us about it yeah, so unfortunately we lost the first leg at home. Uh, it was a close game. We we versed them I think four times this year, and that was the first time we lost. Every other game we drew, mm. um, and in the FA Cup semi final as well, we met them, drew, went to extra time, went to penalties, and then we knocked them out. So now it's the second leg, and uh, we have to learn from our mistakes. But um, you, it's one of those games where. I rewatched it 50 times after, and the whole time, every minute, you felt like we're in control. We're in control. We're in control. Oh, they just scored. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. We're in control. Oh, they just scored again. Mm. And so those kind of games are so frustrating. But the pos- positive thing to come out of it is that you think, okay, the shape is fine. The, sh- the tactic is fine. The structure is fine. This is lapse in concentration. Mm. So you know, the boys are training. All, our whole brain is completely on this game. Um, so we need to just sharpen our tools. Hopefully we go in there. And I just want to step off the field and have no regrets. But obviously, I would like to do the same thing I did earlier this year. So <laughs> fingers crossed. Hopefully, uh, that is the Piala Malaysia semi-final. JDT and Perak on the other side mm. uh, of the bracket. Uh, we have not enough time, unfortunately, to talk about the Super League and the remainder of the matches. But it only remains now to thank my three panellists. First of all, Giancarlo Galafuco. Teramaka Sebanyak. Thank you so much for having me. Kishnan Sundaresa. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the week. Uh, Sean Mahotra. Thank you, thank you. Have a good one, guys. I've been Daryl. Cam will be back next week, only here on Just For Kicks. Keep it tuned on BFM 89.9. Tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm, just for kicks on BFM 89.9. 
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.